Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. Are you a small business owner who thinks they pay too much in taxes? We can help. Give us a call or book a meeting by clicking the link in the show notes to book a free financial consultation so you can have peace of mind about your financial future. We are also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. If you're a business leader challenged with talent, attraction, employee engagement, or supporting mental health, we can help. Use your benefits package as a key to unlock your workforce. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host, Al McDonald. Al, we're uh, 2024, recording the podcast again. What do you say? Very excited. You're right. We're back from a bit of a break. Looking forward to a, a new year of podcasts and looking forward to our guest today. So I'm um, very excited and eager to get going. Here, well, here we go. Without any further ado, joining us today is Chris Collins. With a career spanning over two decades, Chris proudly embarked on a journey with people to go in 2001 as its very first employee. Throughout these years, his professional narrative has been one of versatility. As a pivotal force in the company's growth, Chris contributed to transforming people to go into a trusted provider of IT resources and technology services for organizations of all sizes across Canada and the U.S., This journey has not only shaped Chris personally, but has also afforded him the opportunity to accumulate a diverse set of skills and a profound understanding of the industry. Striving to be a sales leader who inspires and enables success in others, Chris dedicates himself to lifelong learning and fostering meaningful and productive relationships, positioning himself as a trusted advisor to both colleagues and customers. Chris's leadership philosophy is dual-faceted. Firstly, Chris leads by example, setting a high standard of transparency and accountability that encourages others to follow suit. Secondly, Chris embraces a consensus-driven approach involving various stakeholders in decision-making. This inclusive strategy has proven successful, particularly in leadership roles where garnering support ensures the execution of ideas, strategies, and visions. In March 2020, Chris became part of the ownership team at People2Go and immediately started re-engineering the company, focusing on creating employee-centric culture that I'm very interested in. Within 14 months, People2Go achieved a great place to work certification and every internal and external performance metric improved, helping achieve Chris's growth objectives. Chris, quite the intro. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Well, why don't we start with right at the beginning, people to go. I'd love to hear more just about what the company does, who they are, how long they've been around, and then we can jump into it. People to go has been around for, was incorporated in 2000. Our founder and CEO had the foresight to recognize that in the technology industry, it was evolving at a feverish pace and the average technology service-based organization could not keep up with the on-demand and ever-changing needs resourcing needs more specifically, of their clients. So he just made a very calculated decision to leave a very high-paying job at at one of the largest technology companies in Canada and start up 
a technology staffing company specifically for the technology industry, which was a very bold move at that time, especially with the dot-com fear that everybody was dealing with. So we quickly landed some customers very quickly in the beginning. And as time went on and we were providing different types of technology skill sets to them under a contract staffing model, they wanted us to put more skin in the game and start providing services on a fixed rate basis where we actually helped them manage the deliverable to a successful business outcome for them and their clients. So we made a very conscious and informed decision to incorporate a field services division of people to go, which we aptly named Dispatch Us where we dispatch different types of technology resources to go on site and fix your laptop, deploy a server, do rack and stack on UPSs, uh, you name it, right across the country. We service all 10 provinces, three territories. A significant percentage of our business is what we call SLA-driven, meaning we have to be on site within four, six, eight hours, depending on the impact of the issue to the end client's business. So we typically work with a lot of very large enterprise technology, service-based organizations, some of the largest technology companies in the world, quite frankly. We have a very significant presence with small business and medium-sized business. Small business, I'm very, perhaps have an emotional attachment to because we are the beating heart of Canada. We are vital for our national prosperity and the economic engine. We're also the hardest hit by the pandemic and certainly the hardest hit by the economic downturn we're dealing with right now. So we really like to help small businesses sustain themselves and thrive. And when they thrive, we thrive with them. I love that sentiment as a small business owner myself. So I agree with that. Can we maybe go a little bit back in time? Because when you and I first met, we had such a great conversation. And I'd love if you could just share your background. Like, how did you end up where you are today, you know, as part of the ownership team? What was your background and where did this all come from? It's a trip down memory lane, Robin, but yeah, I never in a million years thought I'd be in IT. When I was in high school, I couldn't even spell IT. Technology was not front of mind for me in any way, but long story short, born and raised in British Columbia, one of the most beautiful places in Canada, fantastic place to grow up. I was very young. I was pretty idealistic and I already had an idea of what I wanted to do, more specifically what I wanted to study after I finished high school and where I wanted to go to uh, university. So I ended up studying, I did a bachelor's degree at UBC in European contemporary history, and I specialized in World War I, World War II, the World Wars, right? I'm an extremely passionate amateur military historian. So I wanted to follow a career, perhaps getting my PhD, and then I sort of dovetailed and said, maybe I'll go into law because I was very, I'm sort of driven by being able to make a difference to people's lives and obviously the economic impact. But my goal after I finished university was to move to Europe. When you grow up in a small rural town like I did, there's history, there's culture. It's not the same. And Europe has been around for thousands of years. So I moved to Europe shortly after I finished university to follow my dream, a goal I set myself before I was even 13 years old. And I lived in Prague in the Czech Republic, one of the most beautiful places on earth. I mean, it's the city is stunning. And I immersed myself in the language, culture, the system, the people. I learned to adapt very quickly. If I went out to have some drinks, I would go drink in a Czech bar. So I didn't have to sit there and speak English to Canadians, Americans, Brits, you know, you name it. I wanted to immerse myself in everything this beautiful country had to offer. And I taught conversational English to people who are typically independently wealthy or work for large multinational companies. But I recognized very early on that as much as I loved living in Europe, which I absolutely did, I wanted more. I wanted a lot more. And I really wanted to be able to make a difference, not just to myself, to my family, but to people's lives in different shapes and forms. And while English, teaching people it's conversation English was important in Europe, I was never going to make the type of money I was hoping for. I was driven by having a very prosperous life. 
So I left Europe on January 18, 2000, shortly after the millennium, and eventually ended up back in Vancouver. And I went and did a diploma in computer programming. I don't know the first thing about IT, as I mentioned at the beginning of my preamble here. So this was a pretty bold move for me, given that my education is very theory-oriented. You want someone to write you a very long paper? That's me. We want someone to fix a computer? That's not me. It certainly wasn't back then. But again, I was very committed to starting a career in IT because I actually thought it might be my gateway back to Europe. So I worked feverishly to finish my one-year diploma program, actually ahead of schedule, graduated. Then I jumped in my 86 Camaro, drove across the country to Ottawa in less than two days, driving 22 hours a day because I was ready to start a career in IT. Unfortunately, at that time, it was about April 2001, we were dealing with our first economic downturn of the new millennium. And it was extremely difficult for people who were entry level in IT to find jobs at that time. There were a lot of workforce reductions, a lot of people losing their jobs. So I took a survival job working as a sales associate and personal trainer at a gym in Ottawa. And at this gym, there were a lot of people working in IT, a lot of people who worked in government. So I was building and nurturing relationships. I was networking with these people, getting to know them and their families and what they do. And they, in turn, they got to know me. And eventually, there was a couple that I was training. And the husband, fantastic guy who I'm still in touch with today, he got to know my story, much like the one I'm telling right now. He said, you know what? I've got a program I administer for the uh, Information Technology Association of Canada designed specifically for people like you, the people who have good degrees in the liberal arts who want to get into IT. And I happen to know someone who's starting up a technology staffing company. I think you two would be a match made in heaven. And he put us together and the rest is history. I became the first employee of people to go December 11, 2001. Our founder had started the company the year before. We weren't yet operating. We didn't have any staff. We didn't have any process. We didn't have any customers. We didn't really have anything. So I got to collaborate with him in the early days of the business to shape the business model. And then we became what we call a channel-friendly technology service provider. So it's, again, the fact that I'm in IT all these years later is I still shake my head some days when I look in the mirror going, this is the furthest thing from what I thought I was going to do when I was younger. But it's been extremely rewarding. And I love every minute of every day because of it. This is why I love doing the podcast. And again, this is the conversation that you and I initially had. And I always find it so fascinating people's background about how they embarked on their entrepreneurial journey. And, you know, you said a couple of things that I have to note. Kelowna, BC, one of the most beautiful places in Canada. I agree. I've had the pleasure of being there. And Prague, I was in last summer. And just what a beautiful spot. So I'm very envious that you actually lived there for a time. I think that's something we have romantic thoughts about living in Europe. So that's really cool. Uh, some of the best years of my life, but it really did shape my personal professional character because when you live abroad in a foreign country, and I moved over to Europe with $1,900 in my bank account, and I think it was 1997, and I had $300 or $400 coming out every month for student loan payments. So my dad thought it was crazy that, you know, how are you going to survive there? I said, I'll survive no matter what. I'm determined that I'm going to settle down pretty quickly and adapt. And I did. I mean, within the first day of landing in Prague, I took the train from uh, Hamburg, Germany to Prague. I had a job within an hour of arriving, literally went to one of the language schools I had sent my resume to a month before, and they hired me on the spot. So it was an incredible time in that country's history as well. They had just separated from the, uh, well, Czechoslovakia, it split into two separate countries the first time that happened without a civil war in human history during the Velvet Revolution in 1993. So it was an incredible time to watch this country develop, especially since it didn't have much of a middle class. 
it was very interesting times, and uh, I lived large. I had you know, the best time of my life over there. Well, that is a fascinating story, and I'm just sitting here and, and taking it all in and listening. When you mentioned that you were a history buff, especially of World War One and World War II, I didn't study. I didn't have the pleasure of being able to study that, but I do try and soak up a lot of information about that. So that might be another conversation for another time to pick your brain about that a little bit. But I'm a little bit more interested, too, in terms of your business now. Talk about what you might consider some of your most satisfying moments in business. Would you be able to identify one or two? Yeah, there are several satisfying moments. I think this is what I really don't like talking about myself with personal accolades, but getting earning my ownership stake was definitely one of the most satisfying moments. Not necessarily because of how ambitious I was, because I wanted to affect positive change for the staff and the business. We were growing and we were doing a lot of things right, but at the same time, we were our own worst enemy. There were too many internal challenges and struggles that I was dealing with, and I knew that if I was afforded the opportunity to get my ownership stake, that I'd be given the liberty to implement my plan, my vision. And my partners were absolutely fantastic in allowing that to happen. I sat down and reviewed it with them and said, we need to, while we're a very customer-centric organization, which all businesses should be, of course, we really need to focus on enhancing that employee experience. Right? I'm a firm believer in what Sir Richard Branson says, take great care of your people, they will take great care of your customers. And we've proven that to be true. So one of my most satisfying moments in business besides earning my ownership stake was the fact that we got Great Place to Work certified in less than 14 months. And we are a virtual company. We may be, and I don't know this to be a fact, one of the first virtual technology service providers in Canada. And being virtual has many, many benefits. That has some challenges for sure. But there were a lot of people I network, executives, CEOs, CIOs, you name it, who were just dumbfounded when we got Great Place to certified as a virtual company saying, how could that be when you're not in the office every day? And I said, your culture doesn't center, center around brick and mortar. It's about your people. So that is definitely one of the most satisfying moments in my career. It's the personal accolades I've received over the years. Humbling, it's an honor, but nothing's more important to me than taking care of our staff. So I am curious about that, and I want to dive into that a little bit more if we can. Are there some things that you think that you've done that are unique in how you deal with your staff that has given you that certification and that has you know, provided you with these accolades? Like, What do you do that may be a little bit different from just your average other technology company out there? What makes you special? Yeah, great question. I think it really comes down to sort of the mentality that was in my bio is uh, I have a mindset that leaders must of course lead by example first and foremost there's nothing i ask my people to do that i can't do myself so i'm a lifelong learner i'm learning all aspects of our business as much as i possibly can so i can bring as much value but it really comes down to an outcome focused mindset like i've always been goal or objective oriented and i've got an objective and then i develop a plan to achieve that objective and i have an unrelenting desire to achieve that objective and i have fallen off the proverbial horse a thousand times like everybody else has in life but i get back on even when i'm deterred and i think one of the things that was important for me was trying to change the mindset of our leadership team in particular fantastic smart articulate individuals but we're so busy that everybody's got their heads down just doing the day-to-day -day job and i want us to be a bit more intuitive and again outcome focused the other part of this is setting objectives or goals through the true spirit of partnership and collaboration, right? I am a firm believer that senior leadership or any form of leadership should not arbitrarily be determining all the different objectives for an organization. At the end of the day, 
employees want to make, or most employees anyways, want to make a measurable contribution to the business. So why not allow them to be part of the decision-making process? So typically, I will conceptualize ideas, strategies, initiatives, call it what you want, some type of outcome-focused objective we want to achieve. I will sit down and I will present a use case to different stakeholders within the organization at all levels. This happens from people who are in the company for one month or people who've been with us for 20 years. It doesn't really matter. Everybody has something to contribute. And if people buy into it, they're more inclined to execute and the analogy I sometimes use, especially with salespeople, because I'm, well, I'm our sales leader, is in most organizations, who determines what a salesperson's fiscal plan is going to be the next year? It's not the salesperson. It's their senior leadership. So, hey, I did $5 million last year in revenue. Great. Now you got to do $8 million this year. And you're looking at them like deer in the headlights going, how am I going to do that? I killed myself to get $5 million. We do things differently. We make decisions through a process of consensus. We let everybody use their voice and contribute their ideas or thought leadership, if you want to call it, to helping us make decisions. And that makes us very collaborative. It ties us together. There's no I, there's only we in our organization. And that's the reason why I don't really like talking about my personal accolades, because then it does become an I, an I, well, I did this. I don't do anything without the support of our staff. And our staff have become more focused on what goals are we trying to achieve together? And now there's a burning desire that continues to grow day by day to achieve those goals. Even when we get knocked down or knocked back, we course correct, right? So we're really developing this mindset of collaboration and goal setting that isn't just at the ownership or senior leadership level. It's at the grassroots level of the business. Chris, when we started the series, and it was an experiment because the series actually took over the podcast, right? And became Success Leaves Clues, and it just, it's done extremely well. And in the beginning, my thought was, let's talk to successful people and tease out those clues about why they're successful, which so far in this conversation, we've been able to do. Like you just left us a bunch of clues for Al and I as well that we can share with our business partner about how we operate our team internally, because I think you just shared some great information. But one of the things that came back pretty quickly from other entrepreneurs and business owners and chief people officers saying, it's great to hear all the success stories, but I'd love to hear more about the challenges and obstacles and things like that people face. So I don't know if you're open to it, but would you be willing to share any obstacles that you've personally faced and how you overcame them over the years? Yes, absolutely. As I said, I mean, I've, I've always been very goal or objective oriented from a very young age, but I have not always achieved my objectives the way I was planning on, right? And it took a lot of perseverance and resilience to move forward. But in terms of personal obstacles, I am my biggest challenge. I am my biggest obstacle. My ambition, my drive at times has clouded my judgment. I have worked an enormous amount of hours. At one point, I was working nearly 100 hours a week, and there's something like 140 or 144 hours in a week. I was hardly sleeping. My mind never stopped racing. I was always trying to think of ways to drive efficiencies, to enhance employee experience, to bring more value to customers, to make my staff's life easier. And it just consumed me. So I am my own worst enemy, quite frankly. And unfortunately, I hit the proverbial wall a few times, three times in less than two years, I hit this place towards the end of the calendar year, like mid-December. I just stopped caring all of a sudden. Like I woke up one day just feeling extremely tired and lethargic. I didn't even want to look at myself in the mirror. I was just burnt out. I was pushing myself way too hard. And the, all the warning signs were there, guys, and I did not heed them. My wife is absolutely fantastic and supportive, but she was very direct with me about this. She goes, you're going to have a short life if you keep doing this to yourself, right? You're going to break down. And I said, no, I don't break, and I never will break. 
I came as close to breaking as someone can get. And I had to take a step back, take a deep breath and really become very introspective and analytical. But at the end of the day, I've had to overcome a lot of personal professional challenges for sure in my life, but none more so than my own drive and ambition. And to this day, it still haunts me, but I've taken positive steps forward through a self-care plan to develop myself that really helped balances me. So I'm not working nearly as many hours as I did before. I certainly still work too much. I love every minute of it, but there are elements of my self-care plan, physical training. I like to lift weights. I love lifting weights. I got a gym in my house, fortunately, so I feel like a new man every time I train. Cardio, I kick the soccer ball around. I'm a big footballer, soccer player. I kick the football around with my son all the time. I read. I'm a voracious reader of Canadian military history, right? These things just ground me. And then my family grounds me as well. So at the end of the day, there's no greater obstacle in my life than my own personal ambition and drive. That is a great message to share, and I hope everyone heeds that. And it's interesting when you said, you know, you thought you can't break and you won't break, and there was no limits. But I think everyone just needs to realize that's not true, no matter how driven you are, right? And I think that the fact that you shared that is going to really hit home with some people. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that because we've met recently, right? And we hit it off right from the get-go. But for someone to ask you to share, you know, your vulnerabilities. I mean, I really appreciate you saying that because I think, especially with our audience, it's made up of really two demographics, right? We've got the chief people officer space. We've got entrepreneurs, business owners. That's who listens to this podcast. And I think the people that listen to this podcast are highly driven. They work really hard. They probably work in stressful environments. And I think it's important for people to hear other people get to this point of burnout as well. And you've really got it for your own health. And, and it's funny you mentioned your wife. We have so many similarities, Chris. We were talking just before the podcast. We started recording. I should have listened to my wife two days earlier because I'm fighting this cold now, right? So it's funny how you kind of ignore the advice of the people and then eventually you realize they were right. But Al and I were talking recently, and Al, I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think you'd be comfortable if I shared it. You know, like Al is using Calm right now for meditation. And, you know, he said, I signed up for it kind of by accident and then it was too late. And I thought, oh, geez, this thing to help you sleep. And he said, it's actually been really, really good. And while I haven't used Calm yet, I started listening to, because Chris, I'm exactly like you. My mind races. I go to bed at night and my mind just races and I can't shut it off. So what I started doing was starting, I would set a timer for my podcast for half an hour and not a business podcast, just something that I enjoy. And I found because I was focusing on that conversation, everything else was put away. And I've slept really, really well since doing that. So I think, you know, you've got to find these tools that allow you to say, okay, the business is done now. Now I can just shut down. And I'm like you, I have the gym in the basement as well. Lifting weights, that is my Zen time. So again, I think we have so many similarities. And I'll just add to that, if I may, is that I'm going to give a shout out to Julie Hutchinson. I work with a resilience coach, Julie. She was absolutely phenomenal. All right. Shout out to Julie. She taught me a lot of things in her resilience program. And one was heart-focused breathing. So I breathe like a very heart-focused breathing where I can actually feel my heartbeat slow down. And it really does put me into a very Zen place. Like I feel very peaceful. And it's really helped me sleep much better and just balance things in life, generally speaking. 
That's amazing. Why don't we talk a little bit about the future? 2024 is potentially going to be a bit of a chaotic year from the people that I'm chatting with. And I was talking to Al and Joe, my business partners, and I said, you know, I'm kind of going to put that aside and I'm going to focus on what I can control and the things I can't control. I'm not going to worry about too much. But looking to the future, what are you most excited about, Chris? There's always something new that I'm excited about, but I'm really excited about helping enable our staff to continue making a measurable contribution to our business. I'm a firm believer that they're your greatest assets. You need to invest in your employees. And we certainly have. That's why we were a great place to work certified. One of many reasons why we were a great place to work certified in less than 14 months, which is not a vanity metric for me. It's an indication that our staff clearly embrace positive change. But we continue to invest in their professional development and personal growth as much as we possibly can. We make them part of the decision-making process. We're also creating opportunities for leaders to rise. I'm not a proponent of people saying, well, you make leaders, like the military or the army will say. Maybe that's a different context. I believe that you create opportunities for people to demonstrate leadership aptitude and rise. And if they seize that opportunity, you have a responsibility to help nurture that and continue facilitating that. So. When I look around how many incredibly talented, articulate, smart, and loyal staff we have, my job is to understand what their needs and wants are and help facilitate as best I can. And that's the mentality we are establishing and continue working on throughout the organization. A reflection of that is how the culture in our organization is actually controlled by our people, not the ownership or leadership team. I went to our HR manager and said, I don't believe that it should be me influencing the culture day in and day out and formulating the cultural vision by myself. This should be something that the people do. So I asked her to form a committee of the people for the people. And now they're enhancing the culture right now. So almost everything that I'm focused on and most excited about really does center around our people. Obviously, we have very significant growth plans. We've grown since the pandemic. It was scary days because I got my ownership stake five days before the pandemic exploded in Canada and had to make some very hard very real human decisions in the very beginning, but we're on a path of year over year, continue to be on a path of year over year growth. We have very aggressive growth plans, but again, everything centers around creating opportunities for our staff to make that measurable contribution, contribute their thought leadership and rise, right? Because ultimately I have an extra strategy. You know, I've worked a lot of hours in my 22, well, now I'm going into my 23rd year now. And at some point in time, I'm going to bow out and I know when, And I think I know the how as well, because again, I've got a goal and I've got a plan. But right now, it's all focused about enabling our people to do more, not just for them, the people next to them in the company, but for their families and for their communities as well. I'm very idealistic. I'm sure you've picked up on that. I believe we should all be finding ways to give back. And that's what part of being a leader is, is I'm not looking to monetize everything we do. Yes, of course, I'm motivated by the all-powerful, mighty dollar and profit and breaking revenue targets. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I have to look myself in the mirror and say, have I done right today? Have I done good? And if I've done good by, I don't know, helping some people that were homeless or sponsoring a youth baseball team or doing something like that, that's what puts a smile on my face. And our people are right behind us. They're leading the charge on this now, not us, not me anyways. So the future for people to go is extremely bright because of the investments we continue to make in in our people and how we're giving them the proverbial keys to the car. Lead us forward and let me be a passenger in that journey. I'm going to come away from this podcast recording with a lot of positive energy because I'm just listening to you and I can see why you're successful, why the company is successful. 
We've come to the part of the episode where Al has a signature question, and I can't remember if we give you a heads up on it or not. We can always edit this out if you don't want to answer it, but we'll throw it out to you because I'm pretty sure you'd have a good answer for this anyway. So Al, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, and I think you've already had a little bit of a lead-in based on what you just said in your previous response. So here's the question for you. A society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. Can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? Whoa, that's deep, guys. That's deep, Al. <laughs> we can give you a moment to pause and reflect. Yeah, well, for sure. <laughs> well, look, for me, I think we're planting seeds every single day. It's the investments we make and again our employees are our greatest assets all due respect to our customers they're not our greatest assets our staff are so investing in them their families their communities making our company a great place to work helps us deliver excellence and positive business outcomes to our customers and this stuff is becoming generational in people to go we have husbands wives we have daughters, sons, you know, now working for us because they saw how happy their significant other or their parents were working here and the difference that we were making. And it wasn't always this way in the company. It was a different mentality, certainly in the beginning, but we've changed a lot over the last four years and listening to our staff, their needs and wants and helping focus on their personal growth and professional development. So we plant seeds again through that process, collaborating with our staff, enabling them to make a difference not just to themselves and their families, but to the communities, to the country. And I think that's why we always say we're always focused on the next generation. We're doing the same thing at people to go We're focusing on the next generation of skilled leadership and facilitating opportunities for people to rise. And nothing makes me happier than watching and celebrating and acknowledging and recognizing the contributions of our staff. I could care less, quite frankly, about any personal accolades or awards or recognitions I've received. It's humbling, it's an honor, yes, I'd rather celebrate, you know, my wife's success, my son's success, my staff's success. That's what really makes me thrive. That is great. And I'm going to echo Robin's earlier comments that I think I'm going to come away with this like him feeling pretty energized after this conversation because you've provided a lot of great advice, I think, that people can benefit from. So thanks very much for joining us today. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, guys. Thanks very much. Al, you took the words out of my mouth. Such a pleasure having this conversation. And I'm really grateful that we connected. And we're going to stay connected now. So this is great. So thanks for joining us today. And thanks for sharing your story. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at People to Go? Well, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So Chris Collins at LinkedIn, you'll be able to track me down at People to Go. That's probably the best way. I don't mind giving my email address either. I'm an open book. So chris.collins, C-H-R-I-S dot C-O-L-L-I-N-S at people to go, P-E-O-P-L-E-T-O-G-O dot com. I won't give my cell number though. Definitely don't <laughs> give yourself ever. All right, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. As always, I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends.